Brought to you from your friends at the Weinstein Company. Everybody, welcome! Welcome! Welcome to the film room. We're actually kind of having an easy transition from the last cast. It is. Last time we looked at horror, and one of the films that we're looking at is a horror movie. It's not a particularly scary one, but it's technically a horror film. Technically. We're going to talk about Grindhouse. Yes. Now, to be specific, we're going to talk about the two films, the trailers, uh, and the spin-off. Oh, yes. Because it would be pointless to talk about the fake trailer for Machete without talking about the real film. I took the opportunity to buy the original theatrical film on Blu-ray. Because when Grindhouse was released on video, uh, way back in 2007, they released it in its two separate components, extended editions, of uh, Planet Terror and Death Proof. Which I thought was a sucky move. It was. Yeah, because you don't... Like, they included the Machete trailer at the front of the uh, extended Planet Terror, but, you know, there was nothing else. Just the two films. The joy of this is the experience. Yes. And I think, you know, both of us were fortunate enough to see this at short run in theaters. That is indeed true. And I took my dad. We both had a blast. Like, it was... It was a ride... Like it was, it was a, it was a true, genuine theater experience. It was. I hope that Alamo Drafthouse uh, runs it someday. Oh, I'm sure they will. I'm sure they will. Um, I will say that under the weird circumstances that I saw it, I saw it at a midnight, but not technically a midnight, like an advanced screening. But we went to midnight on a Saturday night, so technically speaking, I saw uh, the entire experience on Easter. <laughs> Nice. Yeah, yeah, that happens. Somehow that seems appropriate. I don't know how, but somehow it does. Well, I, I, it was, it was an experience, is all that I can say. But yeah, getting on Blu-ray, it was the first time I'd actually seen the like. I've, of course, I've looked up you know, some of the various trailers online since, so I have seen all those. But this is the first time uh, since 
seeing it in the theater that I've watched it all together with everything intact. And really, every little piece of it is a thing of beauty. The fake, uh, like the oh, fake yeah. logos, the fake, the seventy style dimension logos. Yeah, the uh, one that you really miss out on if you watch just the individual movies. There's an ad for in the middle for what looks like a local restaurant called the Acuna Boys. It's located right next door to the theater. It shows all this food, photos that you'd find in a restaurant of food that look totally unappetizing. The very next film in Death Proof, what do you see but one of the characters drinking out of a cup that says, Hey, Acuna Boys. There is a lot of interweaving. Of course, the two films are connected. Even some of the trailers connect together. Michael Bean in... uh, Thanksgiving trailer. Which Eli Roth directs, and he also stars in Death Proof. It weaves together. It's a very full experience. We can laden this with spoilers, can't we? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So, spoiler warning. The film's six years old, Machete isn't so old, but it's an experience anyway, so spoilers aren't really gonna ruin that. Honestly, Machete is one of those movies that the more that you talk about what's in it, the more that it's gonna sound appealing to people. Oh shit, yeah. But, yeah, Planet Terror actually happens after Death Proof. It does. It does. You, uh, glance past a radio announcement. Dedicated to our own, Jungle Julia, in loving memory. So, yeah, so there's spoilers for this experience during the movies themselves. That's true. That's true. If you're really paying attention. Before we get into the films, we ought to address the fact that this was an epic bomb. Yeah... This was such a bomb that the Weinstein Company is just now really recovering financially from the costs of this and a few other very expensive failures that they had. Yeah, and we've talked a little about that in the Smith cast. Uh, fittingly enough, what finally got them on their feet was uh, Harvey Weinstein remembering, hey, I can run an Oscar campaign better than anybody else. They've had films like The Silver Linings Playbook, and uh, The King's Speech was a huge hit financially for them. They spent a lot of marketing, they spent a lot on the budgets for the films, and they did not see that money back. Yeah. Which is probably why they chose to release it separately when it came to video. So I guess I can't fault them there. No. But I'm so glad that they uh, released a Blu-ray for the aficionados. Yeah. I mean, I think part of the reason that they have had such trouble was the double feature thing. In fact, that's a really hard thing to sell people on. I personally was on board. I, I was also a film student, so and I understood the material. That's just it. We are not the uh, standard moviegoer, you and I. No, that's true. Shall we jump into the experience? Let's jump into the experience. They incorporate a lot of what I'm sure are like real tags that they used in theaters in the 70s. This film is restricted. Yes. Like yeah. using using the animated panther thing. And of course the, the feature presentation that, uh, is something that Tarantino still uses at the beginning of his films. Similar to how he used the uh, Shaw Vision logo at the beginning of Kill Bill Volume 1. Yeah, yeah, both films use a very unique style when it comes to the film scratches. Like, they each use them differently. Plant Terror is my favorite use of that. Like, it goes along with the film beat. It does. I mean, it's really cool. Like, when the film starts to have a red tint when he's talking to uh, Cherry Darling. You got something you want to say to me? I 
have nothing to say to you. You got nothing to say, huh? That's funny. Because I could have swore you just gave me a fuck you look right now. You want to say fuck you to me? Not at this moment. It's very cleverly done. You're right that there's a rude nature to pops. There would have to be because, A, the film was, you know, even at that point, it was still largely being projected digitally. And B, Rodriguez shoots digitally. He's a digital guy, so... That's another thing that makes the um, dynamic of these two films interesting is they are great friends, Tarantino and Rodriguez, but they are constantly at war over digital versus film. Yeah. Tarantino is very much a film guy, and that shows through and through, especially in his current work. There's a life to his film, visually, that digital lacks. This is true. You know, and at the same time, you know, Rodriguez does use his digital work very well. Oh, he does. Of course, Rodriguez, it's easier to list the jobs on his films that he doesn't do. But uh, <laughs> I, I believe Rodriguez, I'm almost certain, yeah, he's his own DP, and... Again, his movies have a great look to them. This is probably the best-looking zombie movie that you're going to see in terms of, like, having a really unique style, uh, at least in the last ten years. Yeah, even more so than Shaun of the Dead. This is a great-looking movie. It's one of the styles that you can tell it's digital, but you are you are meant to. But it's digital done right. Yeah. I mean, it looks good, but it's it just has that... I don't know how to describe it. You can tell it's a fake explosion, but it's part of the experience. Yeah. Rodriguez, he knows the limitations of the format. He doesn't pretend they're not there, no. No. He was trained working cheaply and effectively. In the El Mariachi DVD, his first film, he talks about how he used a rope and pulley rig to make it look like a character was getting hit by a bus, talking about how that rope and pulley rig cost about 12 bucks. And you know what? I'm sure it's effective, because going cheap and easy always worked. That said, this film was not cheap and easy. This was, this was a pretty high-cost film. I don't know what the budget was. And you know what? You see every penny of it up there on the screen. You do. The zombie effects are all practical. Which shows... They couldn't be anything but practical, the way he did it. No. Yeah. Oh! Nice! Black abscess tongue. All abscesses should be drained, period. Wait, hi. Shut up, Joe. They're disgusting. Um, they are just. That's probably the one reason why I've seen Death Proof more than I have this film. Yeah, it's 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 a disgusting film. The basic premise of the movie is zombie apocalypse. There, that's it. Zombie much. That's it. That's it. Something to do with disease, but, you know, whatever. Which, almost all zombie apocalypse movies start as disease movies. And, of course, the, the ones that aren't infected are the ones that carry the cure. It's, it's, it's your basic zombie apocalypse movie done just extremely over-the-top, big scale, and filled with a lot of weird characters. And, Jesus, all the B-movie beats are there. The guy who has fell out with his daughter. God damn it, I told you I didn't want to see you again. Daddy! The, the guy who used to be, like, this badass, but now he's just kind of in hiding. What are you doing with a rifle, eh? Nothing. Just thinking about maybe doing some hunting when the season breaks. Come on, Ray. You know you're not supposed to be doing that stuff anymore. The movie plays around with tropes, like... Infant Immortality, one that I brought up last cast. Oh, that was ballsy. And you know what makes it even ballsier? 
the fact that it's Robert Rodriguez's son. And if anyone comes to the door that isn't me, I want you to shoot them, okay? You shoot them in the head. What if it's dad? Especially if it's your dad. And be careful where you point that thing. You blow your own face off. I'll be right back. Yeah, and the fact that Rodriguez insisted it go that way. Yeah. He said, if a kid has to be killed, it has to be my own. Oh, that's kind of, um... Awful? Awful, yeah, but at the same time endearing in a weird, twisted way. Given that Rodriguez is known to be an extremely devoted father... For those who haven't seen it, you know, we should elaborate. The kid gets killed. <laughs> yeah. And in a sheer accident, it's not like the kid gets some meaningful, oh no. No, the kid's just playing around with a gun and blam. It does hit you in the face. You almost know it's coming, sort of, like you don't really, but it just happens immediately. It is a dark, sick joke, but the movie pulls it off. I don't know how, I think it's just the immediacy of it. Like, really? And then the next scene where the mother uh, is just losing it over it. I mean, you feel bad for laughing at it, but you're laughing your ass off. Yes. I don't know how he managed to do that. Because Rodriguez knows how to do a dark joke. He does. <laughs> I mean, he knows how to do a good, sick joke. The entirety of this movie proves. He's got a sense of humor, that that's one thing that proves. There's kind of a situation in which Tarantino uh, tries to rape the stripper. Yeah. Well, his character is explicitly, I think he's named in the credits as rapist. Yeah, he is. As a matter of fact. And, uh, well, he gets his comeuppance. Of course he does. But that, you know, that part in itself was just gross. The movie also plays fair by the rules of cameos, which is that if you see a big name in the film in a cameo, yeah, they're dead. Yeah, Bruce Willis. Who, by the way, uh, Rodriguez didn't want him in the trailers. Oh, he didn't really? want that. Yeah, he did not want that given away. That, hey, the biggest star in the film is, you know... Cameo. Yeah. And then, of course, you got the uh, woman who gets killed at the beginning. Uh, that's Fergie from the Black Eyed Peas, so... Oh, I did not know that. Yeah, the first victim is Fergie. Get that thing away from my pumps! It's just overheating! So, if you're like me and you're not a big fan of their music... Here you go. There you go. And she gets a violent death. No, the film room does not endorse the violent deaths of any human being. Not in real life, just in film. That said, this is the second time that I can think of that there's been a joke about uh, black-eyed peas suffering a painful <laughs> death. The other, of course, being on Parks and Recreation. These are the black-eyed peas, and I finally killed them. It's a Christmas miracle. Yes. <laughs> but at the same time, even as the film will deal with tropes, it will avert them too. The Doctor played by Marley Shelton. She has a quick scene in Sin City, and then she's, for me, most notably, I think, her is the Pleasantville. Dr. Block? Yes. She's, uh... She was in Pleasantville, really? Yes. Yeah, she's, uh, Tobey Maguire's love interest in it. Oh, nice. She's really funny in the film. Uh, she does a really good job with the work that she gets. She's bisexual, and she... She lives to the end of the movie. Yes. And it's, it's like, the film doesn't really make a big deal of it. It's just who the character is. I'm Cherry. You sure are. 
Yeah. She's, uh, she's married to this asshole, but she's seeing one of her old friends on the side. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah, that and that is her, yes. Yeah, another way that this movie ties into the classic Bean movies is everything is connected and tied together. Pretty much every character in the film is related in some way or has a past connection. And... Like uh, O-Ray being, uh, or stumbling into, uh, which Freddy Rodriguez is great in this, by the way. Yeah, he's he's fun. He, I don't see him in a lot of stuff, but he's, he's really good. The main thing I know him from is Six Feet Under. Yeah. Uh, he's great in that. Well, I guess that, I guess that comes with good solid credit. He's good. He's good as the swaggering lead. He is. And he makes a great action star, so yeah. Yeah, he's, he's something to behold in this. The diner, the guy that runs it also happens to be the brother of the sheriff that uh, arrests him later in the movie. Uh, Jeff Fahey playing that part, and uh, Michael Bean playing the uh, sheriff. And also to note, the uh, the barbecue recipe subplot is one of the more enjoyable. You cook that meat at 250 degrees, don't you? I don't remember. I set the heat with my hand. You give me that recipe or I'll raise your rent higher than Georgia Pine. I could be bleeding like a stuck pig, I ain't gonna tell you. I could be dying in your arms, I ain't gonna tell you. <laughs> we'll see about that. Rodriguez is a known foodie. He caters his own films. Yes, he does. Seriously, there isn't a job on his films he doesn't do. The guy's a workhorse. I don't know how he does it. I mean, when you refer to a Robert Rodriguez film, you're really being accurate. It's him. Like, not that he's not a team player, because you know, it'd have to be. Oh, no. The fact that he caters his, you know, his own films is a testament to that. He wants to give his cast and crew uh, the best possible food experience. He uh, does music for his films, including that really badass uh, opening music for this film. Like, that's kind of the grindhouse theme. That's his work putting that together. Uh, I don't know if he composed all of it, but I know he worked on it. Um, he guested for the Hot Fuzz soundtrack. Yeah. Like, he did He did the little bit of music when uh, Sergeant Angel is in the gas station, like, before the big finale, preparing nice. for battle. And, of course, he also did music for uh, Kill Bill Volume 2. That's true. And favorite for Tarantino. Um, see, our casts are they're circular. They come around. <laughs> yeah, we try to we try to have a running continuity. It's hard not to. It is. Let's see. There's the other law enforcement figure, um, Doctor Block's father, uh, played by Michael Parks again from Red State, and he's he's a hoot in this. <laughs> he's a lot of fun in this movie. All right. In trouble again? It's passing through, I hope. I don't need to. How's the wife, Earl? Well, she's not too good. Thanks for asking. Smoke them goddamn cigarettes back in the day for 40 years. You don't smoke, do you, Ray? That's probably good. Yeah, uh, you got Michael Parks. Uh, you know, we'll talk about Machete when we get there, but there are some connections between this and Machete. Like, the doctor who is showing all the photos of the, like, mutated, this mutated flesh disease. You're running a temperature of 105. Is that bad? Bad would be 108. You can have a seizure, go psychotic, and, and probably die. That doctor is a machete. That's a skull scraper. We use that to scrape the bones clean. The babysitter twins make an appearance in machete, and, and they make an appearance in death proof. You said 10. We can't be watching you kill goddamn night. Your friend never showed up, and we got shit to do. That's right. 
and start doing it. I mean, it's just over and over and over again there's stuff plugged in. It's, it's real fun to spot those. It's hard to catch them all in one go. You really have to... They put so much detail in. It's like its own little universe. And it also connects to the Quentin Tarantino universe. Like, all, all his films are connected. Like, I think Red Apple Cigarette shows up in uh, Death Proof. Wait a minute, what are we doing here? <sighs> if I'm going to power through and pick up Zoe at the airport, I need a big-ass cup of coffee. <laughs> Since you're getting that, can you get some more vodka and some more sugar-free Red Bull? And some red apple tans. Damn! I didn't stop to get you bitches groceries! <laughs> it's just this one united universe. You can watch it on Blu-ray now, but it really is a theater experience. Because there are, there are missing reels in each film. I've heard the argument made by people that they wished that we had gotten... Oh no. The joke about this is that you could not possibly have that missing reel work. No, I don't want to see those those uh, missing... Well... Okay, for Death Proof, he did actually shoot the missing reel, and it is in there, but it's it's inconsequential. It's just a bonus for the DVD, basically. Um, but for this one, Jesus. You know, what happens is there's a steamy sex scene, and then you can see, like, the film break. Like, the film, you know, kind of during, um, like, when, as, it, as it heats up more and more. Like, you see, like, the film starts to go, ah, ah, like the projector's getting excited. As it gets to a full mood shot, the film burns up and breaks. Sorry for inconvenience, the management. And then... And then it cuts to, the whole building is on fire. <laughs> it's worth noting that nothing that happens in The Missing Reel is ever explained. No, and, and really it was never written. No. Suddenly, everybody knows El Rey's backstory. Suddenly, let's see, Tom <laughs> Savini's character has once again been bitten. Right. He does not have good luck in Robert Rodriguez's films. No. It's one of the funniest B-movie jokes ever. It is. It, it's just, it's hilarious because the movie just slams you into it. And there are a few things here and there that you pick up there like, oh yeah, that must have happened during the missing reel. Yeah. It does give the feeling of you missed something. The joke is that if you knew what had happened, it wouldn't be interesting. It wouldn't be worth finding out. It wouldn't be as magical, no. It wouldn't be as magical, it wouldn't be as funny. And it's funny as hell. The place is on fire. Okay. <laughs> it's lethal, is what it is. <laughs> Thank you for telling me about, you know, imagining. That's an order. If I had known that you were El Rey... I wouldn't have given you such a hard time. It, it would just have been a lot of exposition. I didn't want exposition. I wanted insanity. And that's what this did. Yeah. Actually, yeah. This is this is one of the best uh, avoidances of exposition I've ever seen in a film. And it's genius. It's genius. It's, it's genius and it's fun. You know, we're talking about this movie, but I feel like we failed to talk about one of my favorite things in it, which is uh, uh, Dr. Block's husband, who I had never had any exposure to Josh Brolin before this. Oh, yeah. Josh Brolin. I know he'd been in some things before that I'd seen, but I hadn't really paid any attention to him. That didn't happen after. The fact that we've almost skimmed over him is a testament to pretty much every role he's in, he disappears. Yeah. Men in Black 3, as a young Tommy Lee Jones, it's scary. He is so believable. Here, here honestly, he looks like a young version of someone. He looks like a young version of uh, James Brolin. Inevitable. Yeah, of course. Uh, yeah, he, I mean, seriously, look up photos of his dad from the 70s. Scary. 
he is wonderful in this one because he's evil. He's irredeemably evil. His character is a monster before the virus breaks out. Well, that's unsanitary, Doc. No matter if I'm the only one using it. Helps me monitor my state of calmness. Yeah, get all worked up enough to crack it. Fuck. You might cut yourself pretty good. Then I'd know I was not calm. Uh, actually, it was while doing this that Roland auditioned for No Country for Old Men, so... Really? Yeah. Hmm. Seems appropriate. And uh, he obviously wound up getting that. Honestly, even Jonah Hex, Roland at least manages to escape that with his dignity. I'm looking forward to Old Boy to see if he can uh, make that work. I think he can. Is he the principal character in the new Old Boy? Yeah, yeah. Interesting. At least he'll be believable as an ass kicker. You can uh, you can be sure of that. There's another person we haven't talked about, and I find that funny. I find it funny we haven't brought up Rose McGowan yet. Yeah, as Cherry. I don't know, though, that that's that unexpected, because I don't really know that she has much to do in it beyond stand around and look pretty. No, I would argue that she really did act her ass off. I'm just saying there wasn't that much to that part. Well, she has a character arc. She does have a character arc, but I'm just saying that it's not so far above and beyond the genre, is what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, I guess that's true. She does sizzle in her scenes, though. Uh, the ones that she gets. I'm going to be a stand-up comedian. You're not funny. That's what I've been trying to tell everybody, but they all say I'm hysterical. But you're not. Great, well that's just fantastic, because I believed everybody and I've already booked shows in town. Yeah, that, that sucks. Really. There's a difference between being frank and being dick. The irony about that is she really is funny in those scenes. Yeah, you're right about that. I'm just saying that in general, I just wasn't that blown away by her character. Yeah, yeah. But I, I've got a lot of thoughts about female acting that we can get to in the next subject. Uh, this one is your favorite film. Not my favorite of the three films we're going to discuss, though. Right. Which, by process of elimination, gives away what is my favorite. Yeah. But yeah, easily for me. Of the two in this iteration of uh, Grindhouse, and Death Proof is my favorite. Now I will make this theory. I will make the theory that had Planet Terror been released independent as a solo film, I think it would have been a hit. Because yeah. it's the kind of film that does make money. Uh, in England, these two were actually split. I know that some theaters started making it so that you could just pay to see one and then leave. Really? Yeah. Huh. Well, dang. <laughs> yeah. I mean, almost immediately. This was an experiment that... It just didn't work. Yeah, unfortunately. There was an intermission, and we had some more trailers. I think the first one up on that was Rob Zombie's Werewolf Woman of the SS. Finally, the truth about Hitler's diabolical plans to create a race of superwomen can be told. Werewolf Women of the SS. Uh, I'm not so hot on that trailer, aside from one joke. And Nicolas Cage as... Fu Manchu. This is my vision! <laughs> sure enough, it's, it's Nicholas Cage. Nicholas Cage. Cage. <laughs> I loved that. Yeah. I haven't seen any of Rob Zombie's films, but it's one of those things I'm not really interested in. Zombie doesn't make films that I'm that long to. No. Respect. He's a musician turned film director, and that's cool. I will say that I don't have... Quite the seething, blinding hatred for his script for the Halloween remake of 
some people have. I, I do see what he was going for with it. Uh, even if I think there's some questionable moves in it, I at least see what he was trying, so, you know. Yeah. Or at least he's, he's trying, that's the thing. Uh, also, among the trailers, you've got Eli Roth's Thanksgiving. This holiday season, prepare to have the stuff scared out of you. Thanksgiving. You're safe. Bobby's here. That's disgusting, that's tacky, that's gross, but you know what? It did make me laugh. It's blood. Yeah, it, it was meant to be. All those things. Um, I'm also not a big fan of Eli Roth, but that was well done. I'm not a fan of Eli Roth as a director. No. As an actor, he's great. Yeah, an actor is really charming, and he's he's got great presence. But... Yeah, I don't know who the narrator was on Thanksgiving, but that was perfect. Editor's note, it was Eli Roth. I do you know who the narrator was on the Don't trailer, though. <laughs> the Yeah, the Don't trailer. Directed by our good friend Edgar Wright. Yeah, again. Uh, yeah, I, th uh, I think Edgar himself was the narrator on that one, wasn't he? No, he was not. Simon Pegg? Nope, Will Arnett. Will Arnett? <laughs> Joe Bluth is the narrator. Go and listen to it. It's him. Oh my god! Yeah, it's him. That's amazing. It's clearly him, too. And of course, Nick Frost makes an appearance in there. I believe Simon Pegg is in there. Uh, I'd be surprised if he wasn't. I know Jason Isaacs is in it. A lot of the Hot Fuzz and Spaced Crowd are in it. Yeah. Pai Considine, the guy that plays one of the Andes and is also in World's End, is in it. The lady who plays Marsha from Spaced. is has a lot of the right crowd. That's yeah. what I'm getting at. It's a fun little trailer. It's very accurate to what that kind of film was sold as here. <laughs> the trailer tells you nothing about the plot. And they go out of their way to disguise that it's a British film. Yes. So let's jump ahead to the next feature. Yeah, next is Death Proof. Well, I think the best way to preface it is to point out that uh, the film did get a little bit of attention recently when uh, Tarantino came out and said that he considers it the weakest of his films. Yeah. And I agree with him. I do agree with him. I agree with him too, even though it is my favorite of these two. The thing about that is, I think it was kind of intentional. I think it was too. First of all, you have to consider that Tarantino's body of work Oh boy, um, you know, again, I do want to do a full cast on his stuff, uh, although honestly that might even be a little small. I mean, it's got to be noted, for someone who specializes in making homages to exploitation films, Tarantino sure spends a lot of time at the Oscars. Both of his last two films were nominated for Oscars. The last one he won Best Screenplay on. Yeah, he won Best Screenplay for it. Christoph Waltz won for both of his performances, uh... 
Deservedly so, by the way. Yeah, Tarantino got best screenplay for a movie that is a love letter to exploitation films with uh, Django Unchained. Yeah. Specifically, black exploitation. I still don't know how he pulled that off. A white dude, yeah. Now, I don't, that's not the part that I don't get because Tarantino knows these films better than anybody else on Earth. I mean, the fact that the Academy, I mean, I know how he pulled it off because it's a really great screenplay, but still, I don't know. But yeah, Death Proof is deliberately him working in a minor key. Whereas, it, it should be noted that Tarantino and Rodriguez took very different approaches to what they were trying to do. Tarantino wanted to make a realistic resemblance, something that really felt like one of the films that they were trying to homage. Rodriguez wanted to make the film that was always promised on the box cover, but never actually inside. Right. Um, it should be noted that Rodriguez pulled that off with flying colors, obviously. By the way, we didn't talk much about the action in that film. That's because what do you say, and also because it's great. It's, it's... Yeah, it's, it's some of the best action you will see. Tarantino deliberately went for the mostly talk, not much action style of movie. And boy, did people not like that. See, I, again, you know, as, as a film student sitting in, you know, and having watched plenty of Mystery Science Theater, I, I got it. I immediately got what he was trying to do. I did too. Yeah, with, with the double feature format. Well, again, I do watch it on its own more than I do Planet Terror. It does work better as a film within the double feature format. Yeah. Is the B-movie to Rodriguez's A-movie. Like, the A-movie is the main attraction, you know, and the B-movie is just the thing you stick around for after. And you gotta figure that it was about 1.40 when I started watching this movie in the morning. Um, but that doesn't... That's still... You know, I've still gone back and reviewed it. And, um... From what I understand, this is also... Like, if, if you ever are in a privileged position to go to... Uh, to be a guest at Quentin Tarantino's house. He does put this sort of thing together for you, like, manually. Like, he will he will give you a double feature of uh, films you most likely never heard of, and also just splice trailers in between. This is kind of a, um, you're a guest in Quentin Tarantino's house, you know, with, with Robert Rodriguez. I can see that. That itself is kind of cool. You, should, you know, Tarantino also, another thing that he did, is he deliberately made it so that the second half was completely different from the first half. What he was trying to do with Death Proof was to try and emulate guys like Godfrey Ho, filmmakers who would do that, uh, uh, Graydon Clark, filmmakers who would take unrelated films and just put them together. MST3K did a lot of those films, like unrelated TV series episodes. And that kind of explains part of the effect of this movie. I think that that's my big issue with the film, is that I found one half of it almost unbearable, and the other half much more entertaining and much more engaging. Um, if I were to hazard a guess, uh, I would guess that the first half you didn't like so much as the second half. You are correct on that. Admittedly, there's a lot of reasons why that is the case. A lot of that having to do with casting, a lot of that having to do with writing, and a lot of that having to do with the fact that I did not give a shit about anybody in the first half. Is that the girl from the billboard outside? Yep. She sure is a striking-looking woman. Look at that hair. Lots of leave-in conditioner. And you don't want to know what she did for that billboard. Enjoy it, cocksucker. You've earned it. 
And again, I I absolutely think that that was Quentin's intention. That may have been the intention, but the effect was that I was just, you know, and I want to stress, I like the, I've included it on underrated lists, but I have some issues with it that have, that do make me kind of mixed on it. That, like, does that make sense? I'm mixed positive on it, is what it comes down to. You, you liked it overall, but you're conflicted. I think it's way better than its general reputation. But I have some issues with, as I said, it's that first half. Now, it should be noted, let's, some of the things that are kind of funny about it are, uh, Tarantino puts his, uh, written and directed by credit over a shot of feet. <laughs> Can we all groan about that one? Uh, yeah, his foot fetish thing, I didn't, I didn't really notice until somebody brought it up. Uh, I think it was Brett Ehrlich on, on the Ron Tomeo show. Uh, hey, Quentin Tarantino has a foot fetish, and, like, thinking back, yeah, yeah, he does. How did I not notice this? You can't not notice that. Uh, it, 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 it's, it's, it's unbearable. But it, at least he's clever about it. Yeah, he's clever and not disgusting about it. Yeah, the, the issue that I have, as I said at the first half, is that these women are just, they don't talk like real people. No, they don't. And, and no, nobody in a Quentin Tarantino film talks like a real person. Okay, mean girl in a high school movie, you through having a tantrum? I'm not having a tantrum. Yes, you are. You've been in the car all of two seconds and you're already cursing at me. I am not cursing at you. You said, Jesus Christ, Shanna. And then before the sentence was over, you threw a fucking in there to emphasize your irritation. All right, come on, guys, don't fight. I'll pay for it when we get some. But these women are so far outside the norm of what real people would say that it just got tiresome. It was like they were, they didn't talk like real people and they didn't talk interestingly. And they called attention to the fact that they did. Uh, at one point when um, they're trying to Kurt Russell's character and instead of calling him blind, they refer to him as Zatoichi. You got a billboard by Big Kahuna Burger, don't you? I got one there too, Zatoichi. The blind swordsman from the uh, Japanese films, and I want to stand up and say, "You don't know that reference." Which is funny because there's a scene with him talking to a bunch of twenty-something girls, and you know he's spouting off references that they don't know, and he. Do you know any of these shows or people I'm talking about? Sorry, no, no. So don't go and undercut your own point. It it also doesn't help that a lot of the first. Half, let's face it, pretty much everybody in the first half of the film is dead uh, at the half point. Yes, except for, like, you know, all the periphery people like Tarantino and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, but so you've got a lot of work put in for nothing. And you see, that's where I differ because I found that absolutely hilarious. You know, it's one of those things that, yeah, I, under- I understand why uh, people will be pissed off because, you know, you... You have all these characters in the first half, and then they're dead. Well, I don't mind that necessarily. We've got a film coming up on the schedule where the main character is killed a third of the way through. Yeah, but and you you could totally do get away with that. But you know, I think just just the fact that he did that, you know, he killed all his characters with the exception of like the main guy. You know, I hesitate to say that Kurt Russell is the focus because he really isn't. No. He's the thread throughout the film, but he is not the focus. He's not the guy that the film spends most of its time with. Kurt Russell is awesome. Oh, he is. He is. If you love Kurt Russell at all, you will love his performance. 
Although he really is a case of okay, but when isn't he? Yeah, that's true. That's true. But yeah, I I was laughing my ass off in the theater when you know you you know in your mind that that this is nowhere near the end of the film that you're only mm-hmm. like halfway through. It's kind of tense, you know, in that moment because he's already killed like the person that he's given the ride to, so you know he means business. Who, by the way, we should note is uh, Rose McGowan. True. Okay, how did I not make that connection till just now? She's blonde in this. She's blonde, right? Okay, but damn it. So yeah, there's another connection there. So you know, at that moment, at least for me in the theater, it's like, well, what, what's he gonna do? Like, what's what's gonna happen? He's not gonna. He did. Yeah, he did. Me and my dad in the theater both turned to each other and like, did he really? <laughs> Holy shit! It's insane. Yeah, and we were both just laughing our asses off, and then, you know, cut to the next set of girls. It's like, okay then. To me, just the the stupidity of doing that was the funniest thing. I just, I just didn't like them. Is what it comes down to. I didn't. I, yeah, I yeah. Wasn't interested. I just these were not characters that were particularly bearable. I didn't think the actresses were anything all that special. But again, you've got the quick hospital scene with Michael Parks and. And that's, uh, that is Michael Park's, uh, actual son in there. Oh! Hmm. So you do get, uh, a quick reprise of, uh, Park's, uh, Marley Shelton's in that scene, too. Dr. Blah! It's, it's a quick little thread, and then you get cut to the next set, and yeah, the next set, much more interesting. Yeah, which includes another Smith connection. Rosario Dawson. Yeah, who is brilliant in this. Yeah, she's great in this. Zoe? wants to take a picture of me. So she's got her camera and keeps saying, step back a little. So I do. Then a little further. Then I realize I'm right at the edge of a seven foot concrete ditch. <laughs> Probably one of the main attractions is Zoe Bell, who of course is the stunt double for the bride in Kill Bill. <laughs> I remember taking a step looking down. Just as I'm thinking, oh, there's that ditch Abby was talking about. Bam, I'm in the fucking ditch. <laughs> and I'm just going to have to pause right now to say, I know that right now there's this big move to try and get MMA stars and such for female action heroes. If I am upset that this two-parter didn't succeed in theaters for any other reason, it's that I wanted more with Belle. She's playing herself in this, but she... Yeah has such a winning presence in this film. I've got it all worked out. When I knew I was coming here, <laughs> I went online and found out that the local paper here in Tennessee is the Lebanon New Sentinel. So, back home. I'm sorry, where's home? Australia, right? What do you mean by that, mate? Zoe's from New Zealand, and you never call a Kiwi an Aussie. I'm so sorry. I really am. <laughs> oh, it's okay. <laughs> We're just taking the piss out of you, mate. <laughs> Auckland, to answer your question. She has charisma pouring out everywhere. She is so likable, so adorable, and so plausible as an action star that I'm sad that we haven't gotten a full career from her for this, because she's good. Like I know she is for Tarantino. She was in uh, uh, Django. Yeah, she's so believable as an action star, but she's also so adorable. It, it, it's, it's a nice contrast there. She really does. While I like watching both Grindhouse films in the form of Grindhouse, uh, I do enjoy watching Death Proof, the extended cut, because there are a lot of things that you kind of miss. 
And a lot of that is their extended dialogue in the second half. There's a whole scene cut out where they go to a Circle K, and that you get to hear uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead sing. Many, many, many nights go by I sit at home alone and cry Over you, what can I do? Don't want nobody, nobody Baby, it's you Yeah And she has a quite nice voice She's one professional, actually Oh yeah, she is? Yeah, she's gonna make a run at it professionally. Nice. Again, I, I said this uh, before on the right cast. I would like to see her get more work, and uh, fortunately, that seems to be the case. You were bringing up the girls in the first half are really kind of unlikable, and I think that's part of the reason why the abrupt ending of that plot line was just so funny. It's like I don't really have any real attachment to these characters. You know, I kind of wanted to see. Uh, what was going to happen to him, but okay, I guess I got that. Okay. So that's, I guess that's why I'm not more upset about that. I guess though that I'm still stuck in the theater enduring this. Yeah, So I I find that kind of frustrating. I want to at least care about what's going on. Even if the characters are designed to be victims, then you have it put upon you to make me care that much more, if that makes sense. Because I knew it was going to be abrupt. It makes sense. Yeah, I guess I didn't hate the first half as much as you. I hesitate to say I like the first half, but at the same time, I don't dislike it. I find it, I do find it um, interesting, even though none of these characters are really relatable uh, to me personally. But, you know, it's, it's Tarantino, it's his dialogue. Now, I will say, the film references remain heavy in the second half. Yes, but... Why did that not bug me? Because they're shooting a film. Yes, these are characters who would know this stuff. When they're losing it over the car, they're stunt women. They're going to. It makes sense. I, I, I just felt like I felt like everything about the second half was better. I felt like Tarantino's camera is much less static in the second half, which again was deliberate. He was trying to go for different styles. The the film grain is mostly gone during the second half. It is much cleaner. It's also set in daytime. One other thing that, like, I noticed is you've got that amazing shot where he's circling the table. Mm, yeah. You're drawn in by it. It's, it's, one of, it's one of Tarantino's best shots in his entire canon. And the mark of how interesting he can make a simple moment like that. But again, it also helps that the actresses, and we should give some note to it, I think it's Tracy Toms is the actress who was in Rent. Uh, she's really good as the... Uh, last member of that group. What did you say after the last time? Look, I know what I said. What did you say? I know I said we shouldn't do this No, again. you didn't say we shouldn't. You said we ain't ever gonna do that again. Yeah, but, I, but my ass. You said, not only are we never gonna play ship's mast again, but you also said, if you ever do what you try to do now, to not only refuse, but that I had permission to physically restrain your ass if necessary. She has a very distinctive laugh. Ah! Ah! She's also in Looper quickly, uh, you won't miss her. Yeah, I, I just, things really caught fire for me in the second half. And I think that's what I like about the film, is that second half, things get weird, they get kind of creepy. One thing that was pointed out is, okay, they leave, uh, Winstead's character with the, uh, owner of the car. Well, you know who that, you know who the actor who played that is? 
That's the guy that played uh, Buck in uh, Kill Bill. Oh, shit. No, I guess I didn't. Yeah, that makes sense. So, just an unsettling thought there. I will say this. I do think that this is probably the most explicit that Tarantino's ever gotten about how much misogyny bothers him. Yeah. Because I feel like that's something that he's very much kind of talking about in this film. Like, I get the impression that he wanted to put aside any social importance and anything like that, but that he couldn't. So subconsciously, there's a lot of stuff about misogyny going through it. Um, Kurt Russell's character is a devoted misogynist. Oh, yeah. Just disgusting in his misogyny. And yet when he's the tables are turned and he's weakened, he just is reduced to blubbering and crying. <laughs> oh, why? Oh, no! I think the words that Tarantino used are crying like a bitch. Yes. Yes. Which yes. Yeah, which has its intended hilarity, especially since it's Kurt Russell, yeah. Yeah. This ultra masculine figure just blubbering and crying for mommy. <laughs> it's great. I do feel like this is Tarantino dealing with misogyny the most he's ever done. Um, which is a theme that runs through his films. Uh, Tarantino is up there with James Cameron as filmmakers who have a clear feminist slant. Yes. Tarantino respects his women. If I have the issue that I feel like the dialogue in the first half is too masculine, that's just a mark of Tarantino. It's just him. I mean, yeah, yeah. He really respects them. He likes them kicking ass. Probably fetishizes it, undeniably. Absolutely. But... He, he, his women are strong, and that's something that especially becomes clear uh, in Glorious Bastards. The strongest character in the entire film is a woman. Yeah, who winds up playing a big part in killing Hitler. Spoiler alert for Glorious Bastards, but... Yeah, well, yeah, people know how history goes, or they won't. I will make the argument, though, that I feel like this movie is Tarantino getting rid of a lot of his impulses before he goes to make that one. I do, I do think of Death Proof as a definite feminist statement on film, which is cool. And I think that's kind of part of the reason why I like it more. Yeah, and I can see that. I can see that. I mean, yeah. again, I think that even in this little film, I don't think Tarantino was able to turn off his impulses as a filmmaker who does have a lot to say. Does it have anything near on the level of his next two films in terms of what it has to say about bigger issues? No. But those films are pretty challenging statements in and of themselves. Oh, yeah. I, I do think that the feminist thing is a really strong element of it. Which, as someone who's an about feminist myself, of course, uh, I have to like that. I mean, I, Absolutely. It's not the statement on women that Kill Bill is, but I think I think that's the thing. This came between Kill Bill and Inglorious Bastards slash Bangor Unchained. Yeah. So, I mean, that has to partially be factored in. That last chase scene is absolutely, for me, like, the, the best scene between the two films. I agree. I agree completely. It's it's such a fun, like, and you know that it's all practically shot. Oh, yeah. You know, using real stuntmen. If you ever get a chance to watch, like, the DVD and or Blu-ray special features and watch uh, the features on that chase scene alone, it's... Wow. I, I will say, I wonder how much Kurt Russell was involved in, uh, in any degree. Because he does have a background in stuff like this. True. 
Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he did some of his own stunts here. Yeah. I know for some of the more dangerous ones, he didn't. Of course not. Russell deliberately learned everything there was, you know, every role that you could play on a film set, because he wanted to understand his job well. It's so well shot. It's shot classic action, classic uh, car chase sequence. There's one shot in particular that I love, and it's when they knock Kurt Russell off the road, a bunch of dust kicks up, you know he's like kind of trying to turn his car around in the dirt and you can see the camera work on it is basically the cameraman you know trying to guess where the car is going to come out it's like the cameraman is frantically looking for the car and then he finds it and goes oh uh, yeah that's just a nice touch you know gives you as the viewer that feeling too of being the cameraman it should be noted that the movie does end abruptly it does end very abruptly, just like the first half did. But it worked. <laughs> it had me in stitches. It did me too. It's abrupt, but satisfying. That was death proof. So I guess the best way to set up Machete is to talk about that awesome trailer. They called him Machete. Seventy dollars a day for yard work. Have you ever killed anyone before? He was given an offer he couldn't refuse. Set up, double-crossed, and left for dead. I took a vow of peace, and now you want me to help you kill all these men? Yes, bro. I mean, Padre. See what I can do. Because the first thing you see in Grindhouse, that trailer promises a lot. It does, and that's that's why everybody came out of that wanting to see a full movie for that it should be noted that eli roth discussed doing thanksgiving is still talking about it here and there but this was the one that people really wanted to see for good reason because it is such an awesome trailer so by god he made it he made it and thank christ i think he went with fox to uh, distribute this one he made it independently and then fox picked up distribution uh the next one's coming from a different distributor. I mean, this was pretty much, he did it out of pocket. It was a labor of love. He called in some favors and... Oh man, I am so happy he did. I am so happy that he did because he made the movie that he promised. First of all, let's discuss the fact that every shot from the fake trailer is either included in the film actually... Or reshot for the film because of cast. Yeah. The trailer that you see there, that is the movie. Yeah. I mean, they're not misleading you. The, the the movie that they promise in that trailer is exactly the movie you get. And and more. It is awesome. Just a personal aside, I actually coerced someone into seeing Machete that I'd never met at a theater. I was waiting for another friend to show up, and these people were trying to decide what to go see, and I heard them speak up about Machete, and I just said, hey, I've, I've seen it. You really need to sit down and watch this. You know, and I explained to them what the film was about, and about how it was just this fun, blood-soaked movie. And they wound up going in and seeing it. Oh, that's fucking awesome. I don't know if they enjoyed it, but I can't imagine that they wouldn't, because this is one that I put on for a lot of people. If, they, if they're if they sold on that description, then they probably liked it. This is a movie that is just a rocking ride from start to finish. It, it, if anything, the movie is probably more over the top than the trailer. One of the things that we haven't really talked about in relation to... Yeah, we, we talked about we did not like slashers on the horrorcast. Uh, we did not really care that much for gory films. I was waiting to bring up the gore issue with this movie because it illustrates it so well. Gore, when it is used for comic effect, is good gore. That's it. When it's 
funny when it's ridiculous when I can't take it seriously, that's okay, because I don't feel like the filmmaker is being sadistic. Right, and that's the difference. There's nothing sadistic about Machete. It is cartoonish. It is ridiculous. Oh, extreme. Like, it really does follow in uh, the Grindhouse tradition. We gotta mention that the uh, Kingpin is Steven Seagal. Why are you so insistent? I own the DEA. I own the Marshals. Why can't I own you? Steven Seagal. Yeah, he really star-studded this with action stars. And by the way, Seagal is good in this. Yeah, he works. He He's funny in it. Uh, we can't forget that once upon a time, Seagal was a really charismatic actor. Yeah. And he shows it. He shows it here. Still probably could stand to hit the gym, but he's good. I don't really have a strong opinion on Seagal as a, as an actor, an action star, or whatever. But if you know, like him, dislike him, it, he's great in this film. He has fun with it. You can tell he has fun with it. And of course, Machete is played by Danny Trejo. Oh yes, Trejo is just probably one of the most interesting action stars uh, working uh-huh. today. I mean, he is the real deal. He is the real deal. Ex con also has a reputation for being one of the nicest guys in the business. I should know. Yeah, that's what I've heard. If you follow him on Twitter at all, he's fun. He's like, of, at official Danny T. So he's in shady tweets. Good for calls, texts, tweets. Watch it, they don't tweet. If you've seen the Machete Kills trailer. <laughs> because thankfully we are getting a sequel. That's what really spurred this cast on. Thank Christ. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that comes out uh, next month, I believe. Yeah. October. And it looks just as crazy, if not crazier. It does, yes. The President Carlos Estevez. Yes. Uh, Lady Gaga's in it. Charlie Sheen plays the President. Mel Gibson is the villain. Damn, you're good! <laughs> you can tell he has fun. Getting back to this one, uh, yeah, you've got a star-studded cast. You've got... Let's get the name that annoys me the most out of the way. Jessica Alba. It's the law. There are many laws. There sure are. Immigration fraud... Aiding in illegal entry, unsanitary food prep, but you wouldn't know anything about that, would you? Jessica Alba. Uh, who is terrible as usual, frankly, in this movie. Mm, I don't have a strong opinion on her. I do. I do. I can't stand <laughs> her. She cannot deliver a line at all. She she just, she she's led me. To get the actors that I do like, you've got, let's see, Don Johnson in a warm-up for Django. Applying less. Well, I don't speak much Mexican either. We've got Robert De Niro, the most fun that he has been having in years in this movie. Catch all that? Burn me a DVD. My high dollar supporters are gonna like that a lot. Uh, playing a redneck uh, politician who is as corrupt as they come. You've got Jeff Fahey. Yes, if he had his brothers, he'd send you back to Old Mexico. That's his platform. Ship them all back, but first make him build a wall along the border for no pay. Thank you very much. Get the fuck out. Jeff Fahey's character is sick and twisted. He's in love with his own daughter. By the way, Lindsay Lohan. Actually, I was thinking more about my modeling. You're a very pretty girl, April. But that's a tough nut to crack. I know all about cracking nuts. Yeah, Lohan, who... Oh, just, just, just sad, just sad. You've got Cheech Marin as a priest. Who was absolutely in the trailer. Yeah, and repeats his scenes. And, uh, by the way, yes, they do establish that this is a priest who involves in 
well, what he's known for. Um, Cuban. Mexican. Oh, yeah, I got some of that. Tom Savini comes over uh, from Grindhouse for a great scene. I mean, it's wall-to-wall a great cast, and it's well you. I, I think the reason I'm so annoyed by Alba is because what, she takes scenes and lines that should have gone to Michelle Rodriguez. Yeah, that's true. The, the Those two characters do look very similar in the film. There was no reason for them not to make those two characters one. You know, except for the fact that Alba is a agent of the immigration's office, and, and Rodriguez is not. She's a freedom fighter. Yeah. That's the only reason that they're separate characters, but... Alba has that big speech. I was like, this should have gone to Rodriguez. We didn't cross the border! The border crossed us! Because I would have believed it out of Rodriguez. Yeah. It's a good line, it's just not as... But bringing it into the one thing about the film that I don't like, which is ridiculous, because there is so much about this film that I love. This is a funny movie. This is a very funny motion picture. It's hilarious. I love the scene with the security guards where they're talking about... You ever notice how you let a Mexican into your home just because he's got gardening tools? You could have a, you know, a chainsaw or a machete. Like, they're pointing out the plot holes in the movie. <laughs> As it's happening. And then one of them, when he sees what's going on, he's like... Quit! Nope. Done. Has to be note, he does not, he does not kill and or lethally maim uh, any of those guards. No, he just... He threatens them with a weed eater. It's the weed whacker. He, he's back. Spread out! And I noticed that we're not really talking about the plot because what is there to say about the plot? It's a lot of double... It's a lot of double crosses. This is a movie that's really an excuse for a lot of set pieces. It is an extremely politically minded film. That has to be noted. This is a very political film. Uh, it does have that theme, of course, having to do with immigration, illegal immigration. One of the things of note is how um, Jeff Fahey, yeah, uh, how his character ropes Machete in into the job by uh, giving a speech about, oh, we, we need, you know, he's campaigning against illegal immigrants, but we need them because they're the basis of our economy. Oh, uh, and, you know, there is a truth to that. You know, Rodriguez initially tried to downplay the idea that this movie was about that. No, he's wrong. It, it, it's very much about that. This is very definitely a film with that on its mind. Yeah. And I appreciate that. Yeah, it's light compared to the film as a whole, but it, it's basically just the undercurrent. That is the thing that kind of pushes the film along. It's almost the MacGuffin. It's an idea that everybody's thinking about and that the movie does leave you thinking about. It really does. So job well done there. It is. It is. But God, I feel like I, I feel like any discussion of this film just comes down to favorite scenes because this movie is just so damned much fun. Yes. Uh, it should be noted. It's a cheap film, and it looks it, and it's great. Right. And it works. It works so well. I love that the movie's budget is clear. Like I love how obvious it is when he's shooting on sets. There, there's no real attempt at realism here. The movie looks cheap. It should be noted that it's also, of course, it's a practical effects heavy film, too. Oh, yeah. Which really pays off in that beautiful scene where uh, Machete guts the guy and then rides his entrails down. <laughs> yeah, I love the fact that that is so flimsily set up. There's a conspicuous line early on about that, like moments before. Actually, did you know that the uh, human intestine is ten times longer than the length of the body? Wait, so the human intestine is 60 feet long? It's true. And then, bam, it happens. <laughs> It's just so... It's it's so silly. <laughs> this is... 
This is a ridiculous film. Now, you know that this movie ties into the Spy Kids universe, right? Thank you for letting us stay here while we ponder our parents' terrible fate. If you weren't a Cortez, I wouldn't be doing this much. Yeah, you you informed me of this after the fact. Technically speaking, Danny Trejo has, uh, connect, has said that, yes, his character Machete Cortez in this film... Is the Machete. Now, they're never going to acknowledge it in that universe, and technically speaking, it actually really doesn't work continuity-wise. No, not really. But you know what? I'm going to take it. I'm going to pretend that that's the case. I mean, the way Rodriguez works, anyway, kind of, like that, that just gives it better flavor. Just because, you know, his pattern is kids' film, over-the-top gore-fest, kids' film, over-the-top gore-fest. And it's a, it's a weird pattern for a filmmaker. Yeah. Now, I, I just, I don't know, this movie is just so ridiculously fun. I, I keep going back to that. It, it's it's ridiculous to say anything more, though. I Machete is one that I would highly recommend. Obviously, if you're gore-adverse, yeah, still don't see it. I think one of the big points is you really do not have to have seen any of Grindhouse to see this. It is its own separate beast. No, it is. Even though it, it is. totally fits. It does. If I may, real quick, I want to talk about just a couple of things before we go, and that is why this movie didn't succeed at the box office. We hit on the double feature thing, but I think there's another thing that I wanted to bring up. Movies that are trying to emulate B-movies flop at the box office, and I don't know why Hollywood doesn't understand that. And I'm serious, if you think about it, can you name a movie that's deliberately tried to invoke this style and succeeded? No, I really can't. Um, I can, like, I can maybe list some Mel Brooks films, but those are, those are based off hits. Yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, Young Frankenstein is homaging the Frankenstein movies, which were... Well, I'm just trying to say, yeah, Kill Bill, I guess, is probably the technical example, but that had the hook of that last battle sequence that last fight scene that everybody was like, okay, this will get me into the theater. I know that this is going to be good. Audiences don't go, because let's see, Drive Angry didn't make money. Going back as far as Mars Attacks suffered, because it was trying to emulate Ed Wood-type movies. And I hate that, because I think Mars Attacks is Tim Burton's best film. Oh, it's brilliant. I mean, I, 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 Mars Attacks is great. I actually picked up the Mars Attacks Popeye one-shot. Oh, nice. I, I really think movies like Drive Angry, as I said, that was a big flop. Uh, this was a big flop, and probably the er example is Snakes on a Plane. Yeah. Did that succeed at all, the box office? Because of no. the hype, or... No? No, oh, it, shit. it fizzled. It fizzled pretty badly. Well, that's too bad. I think of people who went to see it in theaters, I only know a few. Um, myself being one of them, I, I, I definitely saw it in theater. I, and I really hate that because Snakes on a Plane is one of my favorite underrated gems. That's one that I'll have to see. I have not seen it. Um, I wasn't really interested until lately. You have to understand that that's a movie that's trying to imitate the sci-fi channel type movies and doing it with the fact that every single character in the film knows what kind of film they're in. Like, even to the point where, like, the famous story of Snakes on a Plane is that after all the hype from the trailer and just from the title of the film, the director went back, rewrote a bunch of scenes to make it more R-rated, because it was a PG-13. And you know what? It made the film better. It made the film better. It made the film stronger. Really, it's, it's a movie that benefits from everything that was done to it. That's a film that... We talk about playing with the tropes. That is a movie that has so much fun with the B-movie tropes. So much fun with everything that you're expecting. 
I really wish it had done better. But I think that audiences looked at it and they were like, so it's a bad movie? No, I'm not going to pay to see that. Oh, damn. And I think that's exactly what happened with Grindhouse. I, I think the double feature thing was unclear. I think the marketing was a little bit awkward. And I just plain think that audiences don't get it. Tarantino has a story about uh, going to see Grindhouse with an audience. And there's a guy, uh, it's like, oh yeah, nice to meet you, Tarantino. I'm looking forward to the film. And then after Planet Terror was done, he the guy gets up and says, well, that was a hoot. Yeah, I really enjoyed the film. Thank you very much. And then, you know, went on his way. Tarantino was just sitting there like, well, okay, I'm glad you had fun. <laughs> audiences didn't get it. No. I think it was asking a lot of them to get it, frankly. Yeah. I think the lesson that studio started to learn in 2006-2007, because this is about the same time as Snakes on a Plane, is that you have to be clear what you're doing. Audiences just don't get movies like this. It should be noted, Machete didn't make a lot of money either, but it also didn't cost very much. Yeah, I was going to say. And, you know, there is a sequel coming out. Yeah. So, I mean, it did recoup enough. But I honestly think that the best way to explain why the sequel is coming out is Rodriguez made, uh, is making Sin City 2. Oh, yeah, yeah, true. He probably funded, uh, Machete Killed with the other, so. Which is great. Which is great, because it means it's a win-win situation. Uh, I think it's a winning situation for everybody. But with this one, I understand why audiences didn't get it. I get it. I just feel like they lost out. Yeah, unfortunately. I think I still have my Grindhouse uh, ticket stub, cool. which I'm, which is a very prized possession. I will note that had Grindhouse done well, there was a plan to do do more of these, to do it as a franchise. Um, now, of course, the first one of the first films that would have been on that double bill would have been Machete. So at least we did get that out of it. Yeah. At the end of the day, we did get that film, and I do consider that a victory. Yeah, and I mean, I feel like getting that franchise out of this project does make it a victory, but I understand, and I wish I wish audiences were more, I don't know. Yeah. It is, it is really built for a niche audience. It is. There are enough of us out there that get it, that, you know, something can come of it, but... Yeah, unfortunately for the wider audience, it's uh, it just doesn't click. Now, I will make this one observation, though, which is, you know, I want to see Django Unchained with a sold-out crowd. Oh, yeah. That's the weird thing. I say that there's not a mass audience for these films. But, yeah, Tarantino's films uh, consistently are very popular. They do sell. Um, Django Unchained was a huge hit, both domestically and internationally. I mean, it... And it's going to probably wind up having a long afterlife because people loved it. Myself included, big time, believe me. Oh yeah, I saw it twice. I brought friends to see it. That movie's awesome. But I will say, I saw that with a mass audience, and you know what? They ate it up. I mean, so there is an audience out there, but it's how do you get those people in the theater? Again, with, with Django Unchained, people were promised a really badass, uh, violent western movie which is what they got. No one walked out of that feel movie feeling like they were missold. But I don't know. I just think this was a hard one for people to get into. But it's, despite my qualms with the films, it, they are films that I really like, and I do own them. So I think that's pretty much what I've got to say here. Rodriguez has even said what he wants to do for the, for the next one. Uh, for, for Mache Kills Again. Yes. He wants to do it in space. Uh, <laughs> yes, I think I did hear that, actually. <laughs> and we may even get a hint of that in this one, but... 
Oh, that's awesome. I'd be there. I'd be there. I'm down. Yeah, it'd be fitting, because I think this opens about the same time as Gravity, which is probably going to wind up destroying the box office, sadly. Unfortunately, yeah. I don't know, though, that that's that sadly, because I really want to see Gravity. Yeah, me too. I'm going to see it in 3D. Oh, yeah, IMAX 3D for me. I love Alfonso Cuaron. He did my favorite Harry Potter movie. Anyway, at least he'll, at least he'll fall to a good movie, is what it comes down to. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I don't think Robert just would be too upset about that, uh, but I don't know. I just I, I love this I love this style. I love this kind of film, and I had a blast with these films. And you know what? I enjoyed them. I had a good time. I think that's all that matters. And they exist, and that's great. I mean, and they're always going to exist. One last thing uh, before we before we leave, I think one of the exceptions to the B movie failure thing is Sharknado. Yeah, but that's more of a case of succeeding in its own niche. Yeah, that's true. It did come out in theater after it was shown on the Sci-Fi Channel three times. I'll give them this. It succeeded having found its audience, and it's the real deal. That's not Hollywood trying to make a movie like that. That's the real deal. I mean, that's an asylum film, for God's sake. So yeah, there's a plug for Sharknado. Uh, if you're coming at us from iTunes, you can find us and our blog at thefilmroom.podbean.com. On the blog, we post extra stuff, supplemental material, if you will. Mm-hmm. You can email us at filmroompodcast at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook. It, the address is simply facebook.com slash thefilmroom. Find reviews and possibly previews of upcoming stuff, just general news we pass on. And uh, you can find us on Twitter at at filmroomcast. Our individual Twitters, I am at PrimDemandPRD. You are at Untitled User. Ne- next time, uh, holy shit, what are we doing next time, Austin? Okay, um, what, I'm, what we've got coming up uh, for our next one is we're going to be taking a look at The Last Airbender, that sad, sad, sad debacle of the film. <sighs> yeah, I watched it last night, I took notes. Um... It's even worse than I remember. Yeah. And it's place we did have on schedule for a while, Shyamalan cast, and his, as a director, but we decided that this is just much more fun. This is the one that we're going to deal with, and so that's what's up ahead for us. And oh, I hope it's as much fun and pain for you guys as it will be for us. I hope so too. I hope so too. But? But that's that's ahead for that cast. Until then... I'm Austin Chen. I'm Everworld Fun. We will talk to you later. Bye, guys. Watch Grey Nose. I'm just kidding. I'm just
Machete will return in. Machete kills. And Machete kills again.